let me share an unexpected or unforeseen blessing. Back in February, Barb says, oh, by the way, Jim, we just got this invitation to go see, well, I guess what I'll call is Joseph the Musical by our friends here in the community. It's called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And so as one who tries to connect the dots, which I was doing and realizing, I'm reading books on Joseph. I'm going to be teaching a series on Joseph. Maybe God's in this. So with, so, you know, so with just a little bit of thought, I look at my wife and say, putting it all the dots together, what the, those four famous words that my father taught me all of my life, that's great. We can't afford it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was expecting, you know, Barb, we got so many things that we want our money to go to priority. I know how much these tickets will cost. She goes, not that much. I said, it's still, we can't afford it. And then she looks at me and says, and by the way, our friends are buying the tickets. My whole theology changed. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, then God must be in this. Look at that. This is truly an unforeseen blessing. So on April 26, we go to this with our friends, and we see it, and it's a delightful show, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And so it sounded like fun. It's a musical by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, you might have heard of them in things like Jesus Christ Superstar, Evita, Cats, Phantom of the Opera. They're no lightweights. They do heavy stuff. But Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat was light. It was fun. It was good. It wasn't really special. It was an operetta. So at the end, I look at my friend who invited me and his family, and I didn't tell you this about him, but uh, he happens to have a PhD in Old Testament and uh, is a Hebrew scholar. So I look at him and I said, what would you think of the musical? And he plays me. I mean, he really knows how to play me. And he goes, what do you mean, Jim? And I said, well, you know, the musical, what would you think of its content or its flow or anything like that? He goes, and he continues to play me. I don't know what you're getting at. <laughs> well, look, I'm sitting with the Hebrew scholar, the only Hebrew scholar in the entire restaurant. And, uh, and I said, well, what did you think about how it aligned with Scripture? And he says, what do you mean, Jim? <laughs> I said, well, did you notice that through 90 minutes, God's not mentioned once? And the title theme of the, you know, the song that everybody was singing afterwards was called Any Dream Will Do. It has nothing to do with God's dreams or anybody else's dreams. It's any dream. It's any dream will do. What do you mean, Jim? I said, okay. So we ordered pizza and enjoyed the time of the family. And, and we decided, no, he decided we were not going to do a worldview analysis of the musical or do a biblical uh, critique of it. Um, but the musical de depicts how our world loves a story of overcoming and achievement. And, uh, and especially against all odds. But also our world hates any mention of the fact that God was in it. That God was the one who was the overcomer. And so uh, it hates to be thinking that there's a deity who has a hand on the events of our lives. So may I invite you in the weeks ahead, just as I did last week, that with me, you continue to read Genesis, 30, Genesis 37 to 50. We'll be doing this all the way through August. The rate I'm going, it might take us really into September also. And, and we're going to look at it very closely. Because I want to say this, uh, 
the story of Joseph uh, is really about Joseph this much. And Genesis 37 to 50 is about God this much. But you got to read it. If you are just counting on my brilliant analysis, thank you. And I fooled you. Please read it on your own with me because we'll be going uh, chapter by chapter through it. So where did we leave off? Well, we leave off knowing that, you know, we're talking about intentions, both divine and otherwise, and we're going to look at God in the muck today, and we're coming to an understanding of, you know, God is this much in it, and we look at man and, and Joseph, and it seems to be this much in it, and guess what? Man's intentions on Joseph's life versus God's intentions on Joseph's life, guess who wins? God will win. God will always win. And so, even though it would be hard for us to know from this vantage point what God's intentions are for our lives before those events happen and before we see the consequences of those events, we understand that like Joseph, what is going on in our lives may not make much sense until a little later. So when things get bad, many, even those who claim to be Christians, say, God has abandoned me. Or maybe it wasn't intentional, God abandoned me. Maybe he's just neglect. Maybe he just forgot about me for a day or two. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening to me. And the error we have is thinking that our personal success is God's, uh, you know, that's what God is obligated to do. And if he's not helping us in our personal success, then something's wrong with God. Well, we now at this point with Joseph, where it is as bad as it gets. It says this in the end of chapter 20, uh, 37. His brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites. They never dealt with the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, as you read the first few chapters, 37, 38, 39, 40, as you read those of Genesis, you will not find as too many tales that are filled with as much deceit and injustice and tragedy as the early chapters of Joseph's life. He enjoyed being a favored son of 12 sons, but it caused jealousy and treachery from his siblings. They wanted to kill him, but instead they chose, a, a, you might say, a, a moral lesser evil. They just sold him. So now he is sold. He is a slave. The traders uh, put his hands on a rope. They tie it to a wagon and they tra- travel hundreds of miles to a slave market where they will fetch the best price. Uh, <clears throat> that slave market is Egypt. Now, if the Jews have learned anything over the millennia, If they've learned anything, it's this. Bad things always happen to Jews in Egypt. Abraham found that out. Bibi Netanyahu is finding that out now. If a Jew is going to do anything, you know, let the pyramids crumble. Stay out of Egypt. When you go to Egypt, you're going to find all sorts of things happening, and none of them are good. So he's in Egypt. And uh, he, he's on this trading block, probably the city of Ramesses, which was the capital when you found out who bought him. He's probed, he's prodded, he's, he's struck, he's examined, he's bid upon, and he's sold as a slave. And so in one short moment of a person's life, he goes from being the favored son to just another possession of the 1% of the rich. 
So he hits the bottom. What's it like? Have you ever noticed people hitting the bottom? Many despair. They say they hate their lives. And I get that. Uh, I've even come across a few who say they're contemplating suicide. And I try to talk them out of it. We all know probably some people who it just seems it gets so bad, they shut down, they just don't want to deal with it at all. Because it is as bad as it can possibly get. And they feel hopeless and powerless and alone. What do you do? This is where we catch up with Joseph in, uh, in Genesis chapter 39. And it just says the same thing because it skipped, it skipped chapter 38. But it just summarizes again. Verse 1, chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So once again, he is purchased. We know who the person is. His name is Potiphar. He's the captain of the guard or the head of his personal uh, Pharaoh's personal bodyguard. And, and so there is Joseph. Now you think of within, within our culture when we when we face a, a situation like this, well, what do we do? Well, a lot of our culture will go. I think I'll go online. I think I'll look uh, in terms of books of how to get out of messes in your life. And and if you do that, you will find that there's millions of books called self help books that step by step get you out of messes. They're wonderful books, but let me summarize what they're saying. Each of those books says, dig deeper. Go further. You're the captain of your fate. You can get out of this, and you can do it. And by the way, for 1995, here's my way to do it. God has a much cheaper way. You already own five, six, seven Bibles, each one of you. The issue is, do you read it and study it and learn how to live? Well, when we look at things that are like this, these these terrible circumstances of our lives, instead of digging deeper, we know that we have a personal God and we're told to look higher. Don't dig deeper. I mean, he was an assistant for a long time. Don't dig deeper. Instead, look higher. And we got we got to learn to balance this, don't we? Because uh, Joseph brings to the table. If you were looking at his resume and what he could do well, he, he brings to the table many things that are admirable in our culture today, especially in commerce. We know that he is skilled. We know from that from this time at home uh, that though he is hated for these skills, he knows a standard of excellence, and he knows when his brothers fail to reach it. He just doesn't know how to handle that problem. He's not a great problem solver. He tattletales uh, to daddy. So that's not the best approach. We also know that he's devoted. He's devoted to his father, not so much to his brothers, but to his father. So when Joseph gets an assignment as a 17-year-old, an assignment from dad, he goes and does it. I was thinking back when I was 17. I can't go back that far. No, I'm thinking back to when I was 17 and my dad gave me an assignment. There were two things that came out, two P words, protest, dad, and they never worked. So after protest came procrastination. I can put that off. Oh, it's coming, dad, honest. I, 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 I'm sure that lawn, if I don't mow it, it'll mow itself this week, you know, that, that sort of a thing. Or dad, I will clean up my room. 
before I marry and leave home. I promise. And I learned to procrastinate. I'm really good at it. So, humanly, we see that Joseph is, you know, has a lot to offer. But what um, the musical didn't show, and what the Bible does show, is that behind Joseph's life is what we call an unseen blesser. From Genesis 39, chapter 2, it says this, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. That wasn't in the musical. Might not have been in the self-help book either. It could be that, you know, many books would say, hey, look at Joseph, what an overcomer he was. But God may never be mentioned. Joseph is more than humanly talented. Look, face it, friends, we all have talents. But he also has a God who has a plan for his people. And that God has a plan for Joseph. And in Joseph's life, people have taken away just about everything possible from him. But there's one thing they could not take away. There's one thing no person can take away. And that's God's destiny for your life. People can't touch that. They may shorten your life. But they can't take away God's destiny. So in the house of Potiphar, we see words like this often. The Lord was with Joseph. And as a slave, uh, Joseph is given assignments by Potiphar, and he achieves. So when you achieve, you're given more responsibility. Joseph is given more responsibility, and he nails it every time. It says this in, in, in verses 3 to 4. When the master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes and became his attendant. In other words, he went from household slave being watched and and understanding that this person is a person of excellence in everything that he does. He goes from household slave to being Potiphar's personal attendant. Uh, Potiphar, today at 3.30, you have this appointment. Uh, The car will be, the chariot will be coming at about uh, 3.25. It'll get you to Pharaoh's uh, brilliant time. I've already... I handled all the stoplights. Make sure you go straight through on green. And that's what he was doing with excellence. And it doesn't stop there. It says in in verse 5, The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now, it's not just that, uh, uh, you know, Joseph sees this happening, but Potiphar sees it happening. And he goes, things have never been so good. And things have never been so good because of this person in my house. Now, he may not give to the credit to God, but God should be getting the credit. And so it says this, uh, that the household of the, um, the Lord blessed him, and then he gets promoted so that he is now, once again, promoted to estate manager. And, and he takes everything that part of our owns, and he manages it, and he nails this too. He's better than your financial consultant. He doesn't seem to lose. But the reason is God, who is at work through Joseph. And and even though Joseph is well equipped, the answer is God. So this is not so much about Joseph overcoming obstacles. And that's a good story. We all like those. It's about God preparing Joseph for even better things to come. Running someone's estate is a good thing. I think we'd all say that. 
Wow, you have great responsibility. Saving an entire nation and your whole bloodline is a God thing. It's a God thing. And Joseph learned, I've got to do good things. So God is preparing me in it to do God's things. So just who is this God who is preparing Joseph? Just who is this God who is with Joseph? And I want to explore with you not how someone overcomes, but what it means to have the Lord with you. So you know, work with me with these uh, big words here. First of all, God is omnipresent. That means his person is everywhere. You read Psalm 39, and David goes from one place to another to all the extreme places in heaven on earth, and he says, wherever I go, God is there. I cannot escape him. God is with us. But God is more than just omnipresent. We also use this word, God is all-powerful, or God is all uh, omnipotent. It means that nothing is impossible with God. And if you think maybe some things aren't possible with God, ask Mary, who bore Jesus. All things are possible with God. That's what the angel told her. And sure enough, it happened. So he's omnipotent. And he's going to cause uh, Joseph not just to survive, but to thrive and to handle more responsibility in the future. And God has the power to turn around Joseph's rotten situations. And here's the big one that I really want us to camp on and think this morning. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And what do we mean like that? You put the presence of God with the power of God, and you're faced with the will of God. The will of God. And... When we say that he is sovereign, it means he will accomplish what he intends all the time. It's more than where he is and what he can do. It's what he is going to do. And between Joseph's brothers and and the slave traders and the Egyptian slave owner, you might be saying, oh man, it couldn't get any worse. Joseph has been stripped of just about everything in his life except his destiny. But when we say that God is sovereign, it means he will accomplish his will and he will use Joseph to do it. And no one on earth and no one on heaven and no one in hell will stop God from accomplishing what he has intended to do. Do you believe that, friends? That was weak. Hey, I understand. It's a three-day week. And so I understand. I'm not asking for an amen. I'll give it. Yes! Amen! It's true. Now, you might believe it because you know the rest of the story. So, yes, God's sovereign. I know how it ends up. But I want to say this. God is not sovereign some of the time or most of the time. He accomplishes his will all of the time. And not God is not partially sovereign. He's not 47% sovereign or even 83% sovereign. God accomplishes his will because he is 100% sovereign. Sovereign is forever and sovereign is complete 
There used to be a soap that called itself 99 and 9 tenths pure. That's too little for God. Through Joseph's rotten circumstances, God is accomplishing his plan. The final thing, and we'll probably mention this every week, because so many of us face um, such bad circumstances. Life just throws insanity at us, doesn't it? God is good. God is good. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to say it, but God is good. So we look at his sovereignty, and his sovereignty means he's accomplishing his plan, and he is good. He defeats evil. He does not cause it. He does it in his time frame, but his righteous moral perfection means that he is good from the inside out, unlike us, because we're not good inside or outside, at least in terms of perfection. So you may be thinking, well, that's good for Joseph. I mean, hallelujah for Joseph. But what about moi? What about me? I'm not seeing God do his sovereign will through me today. He's not working in me like he worked through Joseph. Would you like to be sold by your brothers? Thrown into a cistern? Sold as a slave? Work as a slave in someone's house? Me neither. So he's not working in you like Joseph, but it does not mean that he's not using you. And he intends to. So you're not, you're saying, I'm not saving my family. I'm not saving, uh, uh, you know, my, I'm not saving an entire nation. And, and so what is it? What is it that God is doing through me? And is he working in me? And I have an answer for you when you're asking, well, can you tell me what God is doing through me? And my answer is incontrovertible. It is assured. It is definite. And it is this. I don't know what God's doing through you. But I know God. And so for me to say, "Mm, I got exactly, we know what you're supposed to do. I can't do that. I do it sometimes, but I, you know, I'm not 99% pure here. But it's the nature of God that we hold on to. I don't know, but I do know this. You are a creation of God, and in Jesus Christ, you are his new creation. And as God's new creation, we have been promised, we have been proclaimed. We have been ordained that he has good works that he has planned before we became Christians for us to do. You may not save a nation, but you may save a spouse or a neighbor. You may save someone. God has made you and destined you for his work. And so Paul declares this when he's speaking about the Jews, because Paul is writing to, to Romans, and they're all asking these questions. Well, look, you know, here's the church, and it's growing, but the Jews are, are in opposition. So, you know, do we, do we elevate the church and forget the Jews? And about the Jews, he says this, understand that God has not stopped yet with the Jews. But he says this in Romans 11.29, for the gifts and the call, or God's gifts and God's call are irrevocable, meaning he doesn't take them back, they don't change. It's the same way for his church. God's gifts and God's call are irrevocable. And it's the same way for you. God's gifts and God's call are irrevocable. You'll never hear him say, oops, I just didn't match, you know, it wasn't a good match there. 
Our problem is discovering what it is, especially when we're in times of stress. So if he has good things planned, what about the muck that we find ourselves in today? What am I to make of his intentions in my current rotten circumstances? And let's look. Each week we're going to build on God's intentions, ones that we find in Scripture. Let me just share last week's, if you weren't here. One from last week is, if it was good for Jesus, it's good for us. That in the midst of Jesus crying out, Lord, take this cup from me, it says that Jesus himself learns obedience to God. That's pretty big, isn't it? And you asked, a couple of you asked me to explain that, and I said, later, like 10 years from now. That's hard, but it's true. That through the experience, Jesus didn't read a book about it or memorize scripture about it. He was faced with experience after experience where he said yes to God, and he learns obedience through the experiences of life. Okay, now, here's the one for this week. We also, through rotten experiences, through um, through all of the muck that life throws at us, we learn to cling to God's character. Cling to God's character. In that psalm that I read, uh, just a portion of where David says, you know, uh, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the far reaches of the earth, you're there. You know, he just talks about God's omnipresence wherever he goes. He understands the Lord is there. And, and, and so his presence is there. Um, but he ends that psalm this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What is he getting at? He says, since I can't escape you, change me. Now, let's be honest. Few of us would rather escape. (laughs) But since we can't escape and you're in all of these tough circumstances, he says, use this as an opportunity to make me into the person that I need to be. Search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He's looking at one of God's intentions that he's inviting God to take. And that's what we, now I, I would encourage you, as you learn God's intentions, that you invite God each and every time to say, Lord, use this. I, I want you to do this. It, it may make life temporarily even more painful, but please... See, without God in the picture, you have an inaccurate picture. You have a wonderful musical. But it leaves out all of God's divine intentions. Without God around, without his presence, you are alone on this planet. But because God is present... You understand that the angels still answer his call. The world rulers still do his bidding. You know that God still rules and he knows your name. You know that God's spirit indwells all of his people. And that the death of Jesus still saves souls. You know the tomb of Jesus is still empty. And God is still the loving God. And he's still the faithful God. And God uses everything for his glory and our ultimate good. And someday we'll get it. In the meantime, we have to believe it and trust it and tell him how great he really is, even though it doesn't all make sense. 
Several years ago, I took my one-year Bible. And uh, as I've been reading it for about uh, 15 years now, it, it, as I took it, I, I, I said, okay, this time as I start January 1st, I'm going to go through the Bible and I'm going to underline everything that it tells me about God, everything that it teaches me about God. So, yeah, you know, let's go through it. January, because I read Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs every day. Uh, so I, I get through Genesis, Exodus, Matthew and Mark. And I'm exhausted. There are so many notes on the side of my book that it looks like it's all marked up. Well, it is. The Bible is filled with God and his intentions. It's filled. And you cling to God by knowing who he is. Intellectually and by experience. You need to do it intellectually. You need to be reminded all the time. Otherwise, you'll miss it when he's at work. But also through experience. It was, like I said, too much. It was too much. I had to stop and get an easier question. Um, But that's how you know the difference between an entertaining musical and the hand of Almighty God in your life. So for us today, what's the difference between a good musical, worth going to, worth every penny, I'd go see it again, but the hand of the mighty, sovereign God? What's the difference? On our end, the difference God has proclaimed to us, and the difference is Jesus of Nazareth, whom we call God's Christ, God's Son. who was killed on his cross, but for the salvation of the world, who was never found in his tomb because God raised him. You can look at the world's explanation or you can look at God's divine intentions. God wins. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Father, Thank you for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it makes your intentions so clear through your son. And I just pray now because many of us are in rotten circumstances and situations. We don't have to ask, do we live in a fallen world? We have a list of how it's fallen. But I thank you that in the midst of the list of the circumstances, there are some divine intentions that are so evident. Your death was so glorious that I'm now forgiven and righteous in your sight. Your resurrection was so spectacular that I'm counting on that as my model for how I will be with you for eternity. And now the hard prayer. Lord, allow me and each of us, through whatever we're going through, to see it in the light of your plan and your destiny. Because you are the sovereign God who will accomplish his will. And it will be for your ultimate glory and our ultimate good. 
and help us to cling on to that. And all of God's people said,